evidence and answers. 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, for that matter, yesterday is gone. What happened to the nation of our forefathers? Where is God in all of this turmoil? Are we living in a nation that truly is blessed? Or is it a nation that God is judging? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on the show, Pat will share an important message entitled, A Nation God Will Bless. Here with today's study is our host, Pat Zukran. As we discussed last week, America stands at a very critical crossroads in her history. Are we in danger of incurring the judgment of God? Will we be the generation, or will it be our children, that sees the eventual decline and demise of America? Well, last week we ended with this quote from Billy Graham, who stated, If God does not judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We discovered last week the problem is ultimately spiritual. When we are right with God, then the economic, social, and political solutions will eventually follow. But what will it take to keep America great and a nation that God will bless? Well, we can learn principles from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And the first 13 chapters open with a warning. Solomon has just dedicated the Jerusalem temple to the Lord and has just given a huge sacrifice of hundreds of cattle and sheep unto the Lord, and the people are filled with awe as the glory of God comes down in the presence of the people and begins to dwell in that temple in the midst of the people. Tremendous fear and awe came upon the people as fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, and the Shekinah glory of God rested in the temple there in Jerusalem. Well, seven days after the completion of the ceremony, God came to speak to Solomon. God affirmed his covenant with his people and that he had chosen the temple of Jerusalem to be the place designated for the holy sacrifice of atonement and where his presence would dwell in the midst of his people. But God also knew that people are fallen and sinful and there would be a time when the people would prosper from God's blessing And eventually they would forget God and turn from his commands and principles that allowed them to rise and prosper. Warnings like this in Deuteronomy chapter 8 are replete throughout the Old and New Testament that when people are blessed and they prosper, because of our sinful nature, we eventually forget God and we become proud and we turn away from God and his commands. You see, the greatness and the prosperity of Israel was directly connected to her spiritual life. When she honored God, she prospered. But when she turned away from God, she rejected the moral law of God, embraced false ideas as she turned away from truth and God, who is the source of truth. Immorality and idolatry ran rampant throughout the nation. Eventually, the nation collapsed from within. When a nation obeys the laws of God, the result is a good and moral nation obeying the laws of God, which lead to a nation that prospers, is free, and flourishes. When a nation turns away from God, who is the source of truth, their view of reality, spirituality, morality, becomes twisted and corrupted. 
As a result, the nation unravels and commits its own suicide. And God warned Solomon and the nation that this is the natural course of nations and people. When they prosper and they're blessed by God, they tend to forget God and turn away from his commands. And the lessons for Israel apply to every nation, especially to our United States. America has been a tremendously blessed nation because our foundational pillars are built upon biblical premises and biblical principles. That's undeniable. Go up and down the East Coast and you'll see references to God and the Bible and the monuments and the writings of our founding fathers. It doesn't take long when you study the original documents to see that the Bible and biblical teachings were the most referenced throughout the writings of the founding fathers. For example, the Declaration of Independence, the most well-known section, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence declared the why of America and why they're on what moral basis they stand up against the tyranny of British rule. And it was based on creation, creator, and God-given moral absolute law. The references to God and the Bible are throughout the writings of the founding fathers. A leading scholar from the Chinese Academy of Social Science speaking to a group of Westerners in 2002 stated that his team was researching the answer to his question. What is it that made America in such a short period of time such a prosperous nation and the most powerful influence throughout the world? And he concluded that it was not our military might, nor our political system, nor our economic system. He stated that it was the Christian moral foundation that made possible the emergence of free market trade and democracy. And this is coming from an outsider from the nation of China. America has been blessed because we were a nation that honored God. Well, the question for us to ask is, should God keep blessing America? I'm disturbed, and we should all be disturbed, what I am witnessing in our nation today. The redefining of marriage. No culture or civilization has ever lasted that has messed with the institution of marriage. This is the oldest institution not established by man. It was established by God. And it is the foundation of every society. When that is destroyed or perverted, the culture cannot stand. History teaches us that lesson. One third of our babies are born out of wedlock. I was just talking to the Attorney General of Hawaii who oversees the Division on Delinquent Dads. Statistics show 30% of our babies are born out of wedlock. And he said, oh, it's much higher in Hawaii. I said, what is it? He goes, ah, it's about 50% in Hawaii. The abortion industry. And many of you saw those videos of where Planned Parenthood aborts babies and then sells their body parts for profit. You saw the conversation of women joyfully, gleefully talking about the body parts and the prices they're willing to sell. Here we are, a nation in which our government funds such organizations. We're the center for hardcore pornography, which we import 
throughout the world. Immorality at the highest levels of government. Not long ago, it was the leader of our nation committing immoral acts in the White House with an intern half his age there in, in the very halls of the White House. That kind of conduct wouldn't have been tolerated generation ago. Well, can America be a nation that God would bless? Or is her decline just inevitable? Well, Second Chronicles 7.14 reveals the heart of the book of Chronicles and is actually the summary of the essential message of the Old Testament. Verse 14 reads, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The verse begins, If my people, the fate of the nation, begins with the people of God. You know, too often we think, man, if we can get those unbelievers to get their act straight and get in shape, we could turn this country around. However, Second Chronicles 7.14, God calls on His people, not the unbelievers, to respond and to take action. God's people here refers to the nation of Israel, and Israel remains the people of God and will be His chosen nation until He returns. However, there are implications for us in, in this age, in the church age. In this age, we are also God's people. Not that we replace Israel, but we enter into God's family through Christ. It is God's people who know God, who know His commands and what is required, who are the ones called to action. When God's people adopt the values and lifestyles of the culture, they're not a light for the culture to follow. However, when God's people commit their heart, soul, and mind to following God, that is the beginning of a spiritual awakening. The hope for a nation in decline, ultimately the problem is spiritual. The solution is ultimately spiritual as well. It's when the believers in Christ once again take the call of discipleship seriously and learn once again what it means to die to ourselves each day and take up the cross of Christ and to follow Christ. That is when the spiritual awakening happens. Great movements start with God's people, getting it right with God. When we get our house in order, then the unbelievers will follow. The fate of our nation rests on God's people, not on the unbelieving world. Revival starts in the heart of God's people and then spreads to the rest of the nation, even to the unbelieving culture. And history shows us that the actions of a few can bring healing to an entire nation. Almost a century ago, French sociologist Alexis de Tocqueville came to America to discover what lay behind the greatness of America, how in such a short period of time, America became such a blessed and prosperous and powerful nation unlike any other the world had ever seen. And he wrote in his book, Democracy in America, he wrote this, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. 
not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Can we say that about the churches in America today? Are they aflame with the righteousness of God? Because righteousness and truth, even the hard truths of sin and God's holiness, come from the pulpits of America today. Can that same thing that de Tocqueville wrote nearly a century ago be said of the United States and her churches today? Once again, there must be strong Bible teaching from our pulpits once again. Leaders must be able to speak on sin and bring their people to maturity in Christ. Christians must once again take up the call of discipleship to understand what that means and to seriously follow the call of following Christ. When our churches are strong, then the nation is strong as well. It is God's people who are to respond. And in what way are we to respond? Well, the verse says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Our sin nature doesn't want to be under anyone's authority. That's just kind of our sin rebellious nature. We want to do our own thing. People have more difficulty dealing with prosperity than in times of need. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and other passages are replete warning us that when people prosper, they often are in danger of forgetting God and His command. Well, here the word humble, that verb means to bow the knee as a sign that one will submit oneself, to behave submissively, especially before God or a divine messenger. To humble means to yield our desires, to obey God's word, and to do His will first and foremost in our lives. When kings and nations humbled themselves before God, He forgave. But when they stood proud against Him, He eventually judged the nation. See, our problems are not just economic, social, or education, but they are spiritual and require God's help. And humbling is an attitude that confesses our problems are beyond our capability. And we come to you in dependence upon you, inviting you to move in the hearts of minds, in the hearts and minds of people, to transform our nation. 1 Peter 5 5 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we become nothing, then he can become everything. But if we are a proud and haughty people who believe our success is due to our personal achievements or because we are Americans, then we're doomed. So God's people are called to humble themselves and pray. Prayer is the manifestation of a humble heart. Ian e. Bounds, in his classic work, The Power of Prayer, writes this, Humility is an indispensable requisite of prayer. It must be an attribute or characteristic of prayer. Humility must be in the praying character as light is in the sun. Prayer has no beginning, no ending, no being without humility. As a ship is made for the sea, so prayer is made for humility, and so humility made for prayer. In prayer, we're asking God to do what He can only do, 
And we humbly admit we cannot do it in our own strength. James 5 says, The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And it is the righteous who humbly come before God and call upon the all-powerful God to intervene. Prayer invites God into our lives and our situation. It is the instrument that moves the hand of God. We're to humble ourselves to pray and to seek God's face. The Hebrew word there for seek is bakash. It means to search for with great diligence, to earnestly seek after, look for, to search out. It's used of Joseph in Genesis chapter 43 when he stood before his brothers for the first time as the Pharaoh of Egypt and they didn't recognize him and he was going to cry. It says he ran out and eagerly sought a place to weep. So to seek God's face means to study diligently, to search and learn about the very character and the will of God. When a believer seeks God's face, he or she desires to come to a more mature, deeper understanding of who God is, His holiness, His righteousness, His majesty, His glory, and to know and understand His will for their lives. And God desires to show each one of us His will if we're willing to seek His face. And then He says to turn from their wicked ways. God is not going to bless a country that lives in disobedience to his laws. The Hebrew word there for turn, shub, means to return to the starting point, to retreat, to turn around, to repent. So the idea here is that God wants his people to repent, to return to the point before they entered into sin and wickedness and return to his presence. God wants his people to stop disobeying him, to stop doing evil, to put away our wicked ways and live lives of righteousness, seeking him, living according to his commands and his will, surrendering our will to do what he desires. There's a story of a Sunday school teacher who once asked his class, what was meant by the word repentance? And a boy raised his hand and he said, it's being sorry for our sins. And a little girl raised her hand and said, no, please, it is being sorry enough to quit. That's a great definition of what it means to turn from our wicked ways. To go back to the point with God before we entered into our sinful practice. A good friend of mine married his college sweetheart and they went off to Japan as missionaries. But eventually he left his wife and two young girls and lived the life of wine, women, and song, running around the country and running around here in uh, Hawaii and the United States, uh, living the life of wine, women, and song. And uh, I didn't see him for nearly 20 years as he had left his wife and two children there in Japan. Well, about 20 years later, I was speaking at the Hawaii Apologetics Conference, the conference we've been holding every February for the last 10 years. And the, our speaker was my professor, Dr. Norman Geisler, perhaps the premier apologist of our generation. And my friend came to hear him speak. And during the Q&A time, Dr. Geisler invited me up on stage to answer Q&A with him. 
so my friend who was sitting there in the audience saw me there you know, after 20 years. And when we were done answering the questions and the conference was over, he came up to me. And we reunited after 20 years and we talked. And he came and he apologized to me. And I said, what are you doing now? And he said, well, I'm, I'm working construction. You know, and I've contacted my wife after 20 years and my two girls. And, you know, I apologize for not being a dad to them in the years they needed me most. And I'm working construction now. And now my girls are going to college and I've promised to pay every dime of their college tuition. And he also went around and apologized to all the friends and churches that had supported him as a missionary to Japan and all the people that he had let down. There's a man who understood what it meant to repent and humble yourself and get right with God and God's people. Imagine a church of God that did that, that would humble themselves to pray to seek the Lord and make things right with God and with one another, to repent and turn from our wicked ways, to get right with God, to get right with one another. Wouldn't that be an incredible light in this dark culture we're in now? That's when the church can be the salt and light they were meant to be. That's when the culture is going to turn and notice, cannot ignore the light that beams from the houses of God. When women honor their marriage vows and don't ditch their husbands and families, when men honor their marriage vows and stay faithful to their wives and children as fathers and as mothers, when we take the call of discipleship and get right with God, then we become an incredible light that the community cannot ignore. When we do those things, the result, God says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The Hebrew word for here is the Hebrew word shema, which means to give ear, to give careful attention to, to consider thoughtfully, to obey, to hear with understanding. So essentially the word means to hear something, to understand clearly what is being required and asked. And as a result, attention is given to the request. So God is saying if, if his people will meet the four conditions that he requires, he will not just hear our prayers, he will pay careful attention to them. He will act on our prayers and answer them. And he says, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. When God's people get right with God and turn to him, he heals not only individuals, but churches and communities. And the nation receives the blessing as well. Can there be a spiritual awakening and a spiritual revival in our nation? Historical studies show what renews a nation from its decline is what? Spiritual revival. If the ultimate problem is spiritual, then the answer is spiritual. Spiritual revival revives a nation as the people return to God and the commands of God. Well, America has had two great revivals. In 1730 through 1740 with Jonathan Edwards and the powerful preaching of Edwards and Whitfield. 
1800 and 1840 with the powerful preaching of men like Charles Finney. Can there be a third revival for the people of America? Can that happen in our lifetime? Well, the quote I read from you from Billy Graham, that's not the end of the quote. This is how it ends. Billy Graham states, My heart aches for America and its deceived people. The wonderful news is that our Lord is a God of mercy, and he responds to repentance. In Jonah's day, Nineveh was the lone world superpower, wealthy, unconcerned, and self-centered. When the prophet Jonah finally traveled to Nineveh and proclaimed God's warning, the people heard and repented. I believe the same thing can happen once again, this time in our nation. We have run out of time. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You will find the Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.